Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? On that day, how to dream, cowboys? Welcome back to the HBO Boys podcast, where we are today recapping and reviewing the hit horror Lovecraft show, Lovecraft Country, on HBO. This is episode five, A Strange Case, directed by Cheryl Dune and written by Misha Green, Jonathan I. Kidd, and Sonia Winton Odmonton. I'm James, and I'm joined, uh, as always, by Ryan. Hey! Hello! Thank you for the introduction. I very much appreciate that. Also, yeah, this is written by three people. They, they had a whole uh-huh. room of people that someone standing in the middle would be like, okay, what are your feelings about Strange Case? And he said Cheryl Dunye, whom has directed quite a bit, but I don't know any of it. And honestly, uh, I think we could just get right into... I'm going I'm to personally get right into my feelings on said show because I think it applies to everything that we're watching right now. On the Raised by Wolves podcast, we talk about if we like it more than Lovecraft Country, if we like it more than Perry Mason or by Watchmen. And I think the thing that we've been talking about every time for Lovecraft Country is that every other show is like great, weirdly. And uh, prior to starting this episode, you said that you'd think it the episode would be better if the B and C plot doesn't exist. Although I, I did like this episode. What did you consider the B and C plot? Just the thing with the Tick and Letty are doing, yep. and then what Montrose is doing. And I understand that the, uh, what Montrose is doing yeah. especially is probably setting up a future episode, right? Because that's what the, the B and C plots seem to do. They're setting up a later episode. But yeah, I think the self-contained episodes of this show, which I would say were episodes one, episode three, and now episodes five, are just like way stronger I think that this was like a anthology or vignette series at its heart. And there is like a, you know, the Christina plot line is kind of running through each episode. And that's kind of the thread that and the pages of Adam that hold everything together. But I do kind of like it when it's more self-contained, more tangential. I think this when the show is at its strongest. Yep. I'll say the B and C plots were... They 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 had their moments for sure, especially what Montrose's was revealing in some ways. But I think we called most of the revelations prior. In fact, there were some theories that came to light in this episode. In fact, James, I'm gonna I'm gonna go so far as to say uh, I'm the theory master, James. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for today's episode, I'd like for you to refer to me as such. Also, if you would like to call me. Uh, a shameless Reddit plagiarizer, as it would be more accurate. But you can do that. But to be honest, I would prefer the first one. It has a bit more oomph. Go going onto Reddit and stealing theories—that's a form of research, right? It is. It I I am reading. It shows I'm literate. By the way, guys, before we get into the recap, we have a Patreon, like we say every week. If you want to check that out, Patreon.com/slash/HBOBoys for just a dollar or more a month, you get bonus content, access to a patrons-only Discord, and uh, we'll put your name in the credits of each main feed show. You know, perhaps in the past that dollar a month wouldn't have been worth it, 
But I got to tell you, and this is from a person whom I know is biased because it's me, but it's getting up there. We got a bunch of content up there. I'm doing a solo Hunter Hunter podcast about the anime Hunter Hunter on HBO Max that is up a week beforehand on the Patreon. Also, we got a tabletop game that James is writing that I think is going to be super sick, the second part of which eventually will be on our Patreon. I think it's super worth it. Just go over there and check it out. Just check it out. So episode five begins with Ruby waking up in William's house, except she's not herself. She is now a white lady of approximately the same age, but obviously different actress. Fun fact, that's the same actress who played the sheriff in episodes one and two. So what does that mean canonically? Does it mean that the potion just makes you that lady? So it was the lady in number one and two a potion shifter person or i don't know what what does it mean she stumbles around the main street area there's almost a horrible incident where she bumps into this young black kid and the police totally overreact and they're about to you know arrest this kid where she she is able to calm the situation down but then they drag her back to william's house they're like oh yeah your husband said that you're a little bit crazy and we should bring you back to him and then while they're driving her body's like cracking and shifting and locking up very disturbing the moment where she runs into the black child and then the cops show up out of nowhere and almost murder the kid until she's like please stop that Please stop it. Uh, There's two kinds of oppression in a row. First, the very obvious racism. And then secondly, her husband, quote unquote, called and said She's a hysterical woman. Right. Like, just one after another, we're just knocking down bowling pins of terrible oppression. But she only experienced half of it because she took the potion. William carries her inside where she's, like, convulsing and and unable to control her body there's shit moving around beneath her skin and whatever it is uh william cuts her open with a big carving knife uh and pulls it out gory like it's a horror movie like we're back in jordan peele's world and out of national treasure from last episode on the south side letty and tick go to see montrose to speak to yahima and she's not there and the pages are gone and Tick, who is like usually like a pretty, you know, chill guy, explodes and just beats the shit like savagely out of Montrose. Just well knocks him to the ground and then hits him again and again and again. What are you gonna do, man? Montrose was like, yeah, no, she left. Like, try harder, lie better at all. (laughs) Tick was like, that's for sure a lie. And also, uh, you beat me up my entire life, and now I'm going to put my fists into the back of your head. Back at William's house, Ruby wakes up, this time as herself. William monologues and says that he worked with Hiram Epstein to develop a transformation potion and that he wants her to use it to live a life free of discrimination. And he also gives her an enormous money clip, which, uh, yeah, I'll take both of those. (laughs) Sure. James, you're you're watching this and being like, yes, please. Like, with your hand out through the screen. It's the 1950s, so he's probably left her, like, $40, and she could go buy the whole town with that. Yeah, she can buy most of the south side, most of the east side as well. So I do find this scene interesting just because he leaves the potion there. She says out loud, she's like, I'm never doing that shit again. That was messed up and I hated it. And then he's like, okie doke. Well, here's the potion just in case you want it. And here's a large clip of money. So the ability to shapeshift is now completely within your hands. And I'm not forcing you to do anything. So it's like 
someone doing heroin for the first time being like, that was terrible. I really hated it. But I'm slightly addicted to it now. And someone's just like, well, uh, here's more of it. And I'm going to leave this room. And you do what you will. So she ends up taking it and having a very nice time walking around the north side of Chicago as a yeah. white lady and getting lots of preferential treatment she just and does free ice cream. Shit. Just nah. normal shit. I like the idea of a transformation potion. I, I wouldn't want to be a white lady, but, you know, I always thought Mystique from X-Men had cool powers, and it would be pretty cool to just, like, go up in the club as Bono and have everyone freak out, you know? You want to be Bono. You had the choice no, I mean, to just, say I mean, anybody. A, a super famous and you person. you said Bono. <laughs> no, no, no. You could have said Henry Cavill. You could have said people wouldn't be excited to see Henry. Not not at, are not at the you nightclub, insane? Right? <laughs> you get a grip, sir. I, you know who I would want to be? I'd want to be Hayden Christensen, circa Jumper. When when Jumper came out, he was the biggest. So that's what yeah. I, I think be. we're both both squandering this. I, obviously, when you go as Justin Bieber or whatever, Justin Bieber or whatever, James. Wow. I don't know. I don't know who's cool anymore. Seems like I, you don't I'm have any man. Bieber fever to speak of. <laughs> I don't want to be... Sam, who's the most famous person in the world? Is it Drake? No. Who is it? The most famous person in the world? Yeah. In the world? In the world. Is it Barack Obama? Is it... It might be Donald Trump. I don't want to do this game anymore. Yeah, I don't want to go to the club as Donald Trump. That I think that would take a dark turn. Sam said it's the Backstreet Boys. I want to be all five of the Backstreet Boys at once. At the travel agency, Tick is still smoldering about what happened with his dad. Letty shows up and tells him that she actually has pictures that she took of every one of the pages of Adam that they had. And Tick apologizes for getting violent. He says that he has been tainted both by his father's upbringing of him, as well as the terrible things he had to see and do in the Korean War. And then the two of them reconcile and have sex on the couch. Sam actually updated, and it's probably BTS, right? Okay, so you go in as RN to the club, and you're like, don't ask me to speak Korean! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, I don't know the language you think I'm supposed to know, but I am me. And you're right, yeah, going back to what you were just saying, Letty was scared. She was like, ah, you seemed super violent. And he's like, I mean, I was a soldier, violence was my game. And you're right, the sex scene was not like it was in episode three it was low and slow but i also think you know keep this sex scene in mind because it's mostly just i think a foil to a future sex scene that was not exactly the same later that night ruby is in the bath talking to william she wants to know what the catch is for being given this potion and william says that eventually he will call on her to do a favor for christina and he also then asks, so, like, now that you've got this ability to transform, what are you going to do with it next? And we get Cardi B's money. Oh, my God. What a perfect use of this song. The music is great again, by the way. We were complaining, um, I guess I was complaining, about the music last time just because it seemed excessive and also heisty, which was weird in the middle of this horror movie. But Ruby, as a white lady, walking into the place where she knew she couldn't get a job before with Cardi B playing. You can't see it, but I'm like doing that kiss that chefs do. Ah, perfection. She goes in for a job interview trying to get the clerk job that she was denied before. And she impresses the boss so much that she's offered assistant manager, (laughs) which she accepts, but then has to run out the door because the potion's wearing off. 
Right. She's turning back into, like, the it's the full moon and she's turning into a werewolf. Somewhere across town, Montrose visits Sammy's apartment and with absolutely not a word spoken by Montrose, he comes in and they have very suddenly extremely rough gay sex. So this is the foil to Letty and Tick sex scene. Notice that both of these were not the same, but Montrose mm-hmm. was going to his secret lover's house when, you know, his eye is all effed up and he is looking for some comfort. Cut. So mm-hmm. he goes out in the world and he finds it. Uh, we should say Montrose has exactly one line in this show. At the very beginning, he says, she's gone. And then he doesn't speak for the rest of it. Yeah, a little weird. I would have rather him said words to people about things, places, plot points. The next day is Ruby's first day as assistant manager at the department store. She's speaking to the black clerk Tamara, and she cannot hide her envy (laughs) that this girl was hired instead of her. And we kind of find out that this girl not nearly as qualified as her, which kind of tips her off to like, okay, so this girl's younger and cuter than me, and that's probably why she got hired and I didn't. And she's pretty rude to Tamara and kind of hard on her. So we're already kind of seeing, of course, this is like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde send up. And, 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 you know, instead of Mr. Hyde, it's Miss Hillary. Yeah, I wouldn't describe what Ruby was doing as rude. I would describe it as racist, which is weird, right? Because she's envious. She's angry and she's being kind of racist towards a person of her own race. I I just think that's an incredibly interesting way to tell a story. In the stock room at first, Ruby is kind of getting to like her catty white co-workers until they start saying racist shit and joking around about Tamara. Yeah, right. She was lost in the make-believe and she was having a lot of fun but it all comes crashing down because everyone around her is an awful bigot and she's like okay okie dokie well that was good while it lasted after work william comes to see her and wants her to stop taking the potion so that she can transform back into ruby and she wants her to meet with christina inside the lodge the local Chicago Lodge of the Order, disguised as a caterer, where she will meet up with Christina to do some kind of, you know, secret plot. Yes, this is the deal that she made with the devil come to roost. She is going to the lion's den, or more specifically, the policeman's den. And this is good. I mean, we saw that the policeman and Christina have a active qualm with each other. And now we get to see what that qualm is all about. At the party, disguised as a caterer, she eventually runs into Christina, who explains that she is here in order to help get revenge for William, who the captain of the police had once shot and left for dead. And now, in order to get revenge, she wants her to plant this magic rock in the captain's office somewhere. So, I mean, I've been on the theory that Christina is William for a a long time now. So in this moment when she was talking about how William got shot and left to rot and seemed like she was taking it very personally, more than even you would about a close friend, a family member, she was talking like she was the one who was shot. I was like, okay, well, if you didn't know or didn't guess the William equals Christina theory, then it, it wouldn't be very on the nose, but... It was, it seemed on the nose to me. What is the, there was a Westworld theory forever, the someone equals someone, right? That, that William was the man in black? Right, yes, it was William was the man in black. I love the equals theories 
the I don't think this person is who they say they are. Right. There were a lot of those for like the second half of Game of Thrones and then basically none of them were correct. Listen, okay. It's done. It's over now. Yeah, we, we just have, gotta let it let it be over. We gotta let it be, man. Just just let it fall to the wayside where it belongs. At home, Tick and Letty are trying to decipher the language of Adam. It comes up that Letty thinks that Montrose like let Yahima walk away and Tick lets her know that that's probably not what happened. Mm. Letty takes it really hard. Right. Well, she's like, oh, this woman who helped us, she's dead now. And she kind of died for no reason. Or she died to protect us, ostensibly. Yeah. So I think she just immediately blames herself and the situation for Yahima's death. A death that happened within five minutes of meeting her. She's a straight bummer. And she breaks down, like, truly. She has a real emotional reaction here. Ruby ends up hiding the magic rock in the captain's desk, but then a few police officers are coming in and she has to go quickly hide in the closet where she finds this dude who's got his throat cut open and his tongue cut out and who's been tortured and is hanging in the closet. Yeah, what is the deal with this motherfucker? We hear the cops talking about it and apparently this is a member of a different lodge who they were torturing for information on where the pages might be. So pretty dangerous to be in possession of those pages. Perhaps Montrose made the right call. Ruby keeps it together, which is nuts, because nobody in their right minds would ever actually be able to keep it together while you're next to what she was next to. She doesn't barf. She almost does, but she doesn't barf. And the cops in the next room are like, he's making noise. That's funny. Moving on. And Ruby looks through the cracks in the door and sees that it looks like the police chief's torso has black skin sewn onto it. Like, his entire torso is black skin, which is weird, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I assume we'll get an episode about, like, the evil cop lodge, and and we'll find out a lot of dark shit. Listen, we have five episodes left, and Hippolyta has to have her own episode at this point? That's been set up for four straight episodes. We're running out of time here. Yeah, Hippolyta is going to get an episode, Montrose is going to get an episode. Next episode is in Korea, right? Right, so we'll get Tick's backstory... Ruby goes back to work the next day, very clearly disturbed over what she saw. She begins warning Tamara about, you know, how she needs to be on her toes and watch out for these insane white people who have dead bodies in their closets. And she also is, like, forgetting to code switch, so she sounds more like regular Ruby. Yeah, which is interesting. Asking the white actress to do that, do you think that was awkward? Then the manager comes over, and she's trying to deflect you know why are you giving the business to tamara she's like oh i'm not no we're, we're being friendly we're we're being friends in fact she's gonna take all us white ladies out to the south side for drinks tonight yeah uh, no we're fine shut up we're fine you shut up and it did not seem to me in that moment that the manager was invited but apparently he decides to no. come along anyway <laughs> He came anyway. He wanted to. And he's a white man. So I suppose he just invited himself. Sammy takes Montrose to his friend's house where they are preparing for a drag show. And Montrose does not seem to be having a good time, but we don't really know how he's feeling because he isn't speaking at all. And the other drag queens are joshing Sammy about Montrose being kind of weird. The drag queens include Shangela. I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. And 
Drag Race winner Monet Exchange. I'm reading this. This is because I, I don't. This is a world unbeknownst to me. But it, I was told that by Andy Sachs, who was like, "Oh yeah, okay. Those those are famous people, and they are in this show, which is interesting." But again, like you said, I would have liked for Montrose to, you know, say any words or you know, even do some facial acting because he's like a statue. Yeah, like he's dead inside. Oh, I'm so sorry. You had to brutally murder a ancient woman who had been alive for five minutes last episode. That must have been so right. hard you, you, for you. You re-killed an undead mummy. It's a complicated situation. So complicated that he's now mute. At the bar, Hillary's co-workers are drinking and having a very nice time enjoying the lively atmosphere of the South Side. Ruby goes outside to take her potion, but she isn't actually able to get it in time, and she starts transforming, and we see the extremely gory way in which she turns back to Ruby, which is basically like Ruby bursts through Hillary's skin and then is covered in her blood and guts. Right. There's going to be a dichotomy of feelings about this situation. I think half of the people watching it are just going to be like, that is needlessly gross. And the other half, who's me, is like, that is gross. Sick. While outside and covered in blood, she sees her manager attempt to assault Tamara, who runs away to get away from him. Yeah. So he's a jerk. He's also, a, you know, probably only hired Tamara in order to set up this kind of situation in the first place. Which is ostensibly not cool. And at this point, the manager had been talked about as like a person who doesn't do messed up stuff. A person who is on the up and up. A goody two-shoes, even. Right. So, that's not true. He's being a goddamn dick. At the drag show, Montrose still doesn't seem to be displaying any emotion or enjoying himself. But as he watches Sammy dance in drag, he seems to loosen up and finally smile a bit. He's in this environment that seems inclusive. A place where perhaps he should have been for longer than he has. He gets lifted up on the shoulders of all these people and i i thought just interesting like this episode ruby is going through a transformation and so is montrose at william's house ruby talks to christina she's looking for william but he's not around and christina does her whole you know we're not so different you and i but ruby rejects that and says that she can't really understand her because having walked around as a white woman for these past couple days has only made her view of the world even bleaker than it was before. I think it's important to note that Ruby has barely been bamboozled up until this point. Like, she's already said out loud, hey, that's the one room, the basement, that has a locked door in it, and this whole house, what's in there. And every time William and Christina have done something weird, Ruby calls her out, or him out, for it. So, I do like it. It's like in Get Out, where it's very purposely written, where the black people very much understand that they're in a horror movie, and they're like, no, 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 fuck this. Christina says that instead of using the magic that she's been given to live out this boring white lady life, she should use it instead to do whatever it is she really wants to do. So, taking that advice... Ruby, as Hillary, goes into work, quits her job, seduces her manager, and then rapes him with the heel of a stiletto. Oh, okie doke. So... <laughs> this was very... The, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, what were your feelings? Did you feel justice? Or were you just like, oh, fuck? <laughs> well, I thought she was gonna strangle and murder him. Right. Which in one way would have been worse, but then also she kind of instead rapes him which is also very bad 
violently, so, like, violently, with just <laughs> yeah, really stabbing him with Terrible. the heel, extremely very, uh, shot in a very gory and visceral way. If by gory you just mean like they don't cut away, it's a wide right. shot and they show it happen. I mean, there was a moment where I was like, "Good, fuck this guy," and then like the eighth or ninth time she impaled him, I was like, "Okie doke, okie doke, okie doke." That's gonna be a tough injury to explain to the emergency room. Yeah, I got you know twelve stiletto heel stabbings directly in my anus. I'm gonna have a tough time explaining this to the wife. I'm gonna have a tough time doing a BM for the rest of my life. Also, right. it, that assumes he gets to the emergency room. A lot of blood there. He might bleed out on that carpet if nobody finds him. As she's doing this, she's also transforming back into Ruby, and then she taunts him, saying that she wanted him to know that a black woman was the one who did this to him. Though she doesn't use those words. No, but I mean, that seems like something you would say before you murder him then, right? But I think she does something even more savage, which is, you know, she just leaves. In the bath at home, Letty is trying to relax and get over the horrible revelation that she has learned. She talks with Tick, who comforts her. Obviously, Tick has seen a lot of death and destruction in his day, and so he is more mentally and emotionally prepared for it, and he is able to help Letty through this situation i think it would i'm gonna go off on a bit of a tangent right now but jonathan majors who plays tick just got hired as a antagonist in the mcu didn't he mm-hmm. yeah, he's playing some big famous marvel comics villain that i'm not familiar with what's the villain's name james you got me he's like the time monster or something his name apparently is going to be kang the conqueror okay god just give me like a, like a summary about him he's like a time monster yeah, apparently there's this other thing where, in one timeline, Tony Stark becomes Kang the Conqueror, uh, which is odd. But anyway, he's in the new Ant-Man. So, you know, Ant-Man goes into quantum spaces that have to do with time, and now he will be joined by Jonathan Major doing the same thing. Paul Rudd versus Jonathan Major. 20, 20, I don't know, 1, 2, when? I don't know. But, I mean, that's interesting. It's too bad he's, like, the villain in Ant-Man 3 since Ant-Man 2 wasn't very good. Hopefully this one's better. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be watched by a whole lot of people. You have to assume that being in Lovecraft Country, a show that is doing very well critically helped him I mean, although he could have been going out for this role for years we don't know but i don't i'm psyched for him i don't think he's the best part of the show i don't think his character is very interesting but more power to him at william's house ruby tries to confront him as he's just coming home but then he transforms into christina and ruby's obviously very stunned she's like what the fuck were you christina the whole time like including when we were having sex <laughs> yep I sure was. Theory Master Ryan slash Shameless Reddit Plagiarizer is at it again. Christina is William. William is Christina. She is oppressed only in one part of her life, being a woman. So she used the potion to get around that oppression. The stinger at the end of the show, Tick finds something while translating the language of Adam, which prompts him to immediately call his ex in Korea. And the girl on the other line says, I told you you should have listened to me. And he asks, well, then what are you? And she hangs up. As you might recall, at the end of episode one, when he calls Korea, she says that he never should have left. So that's a premonition of this moment where Tick has been translating this ancient text and he thought the inside of his ring were his initials, but instead it was D.I.E., which I'm not sure if that stands for something or it's just, you know, 
the word die, but apparently this has something to do with Tick back in Korea. So we'll see what that is next episode. Yeah, I'm excited for the next episode. I don't usually watch the previews, but I watched the preview for this one, Meet Me in Daegu. It takes place in Korea, or maybe during and after the Korean War, which most people do not know too much about. It's not really taught in American history. It's often referred to as the Forgotten War, but I've been learning a lot about it uh, since I moved to Korea. And it is very interesting, and 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 I'm I'm married to a Korean woman, and now I'm living in Korea, and so I'm happy that the show's going to Korea too. Maybe I'll see the show while they're here. That is really cool. Yeah, you'll walk onto set and then be like, "Oh, I'm in some sort of time predicament now, aren't I?" So yeah, I really liked this episode. I like the standalone episodes. It seems like we're getting another yeah. one next week. And yeah. yeah, it's funny. Last week, I was like, oh, no, Lovecraft Country has declined. Now I'm all about Raised by Wolves. And then this week, I'm like, no, Raised by Wolves has declined. I'm all about Lovecraft Country. Right. I'm (laughs) completely on board with you. We watched episodes one and two of Raised by Wolves, and they were really good. An amazing pilot. I'll call it amazing. I know people watched it and really hated it, but I liked it a lot. And I thought, you know, the consistency issues of Lovecraft Country just kept ailing it so much. I like. Last episode, at the end of it, I felt like, oh, okay, I'm over this show completely. But I also knew it had a really good chance of the next episode being good just because that's the pattern that it follows. And then it was. So if it can hit two episodes in a row that are good, I think we are on our way to sticking a landing. And like you've said multiple times, that landing is easier to stick or it's going to be easier to stick in Lovecraft Country where the road seems clearer and with less obstacles, like plot obstacles specifically, than Raised by Wolves, which currently I think is going downhill. I think I'll think about it at the end of like, that had a really good pilot, and then it could have cut out most of the middle of it, and then if the end is awesome, then I'll be like, it was a good show, and if the end sucks, I'll be like, I'll take it or leave it, and tell no one to watch it. I just looked it up, we still do not know if there will be a Lovecraft Country Season 2. Nobody knows. Well, I assume it's a lot like Perry Mason. If people watch it, they will come. And so it's a lot like Field of Dreams also in that way. Hopefully they do. I'd like to, you know, I was so excited when Perry Mason got upgraded from miniseries to season one. And then I was I was also excited when that happened to Watchmen until they undid it. <laughs> right. I mean, Damon Lindelof was never planning on doing that shit. So they tricked the shit out of us. Yeah. A horrible. I hope that Alan Moore set several curses on Damon Lindelof. Yeah, he is a druid. But yeah, and then we also talked about it last time, and I'm sure we'll do an episode on this. There's a lot of interesting stuff coming up on HBO. More miniseries. The miniseries is having a sort of renaissance these days. I think it started with, what's that show about the nuclear fallout in Russia? Chernobyl, dude. It's named after the... It started with Chernobyl, and now it's just been on a roll ever since. Oh, my God. And when I I think about it, a lot of my favorite shows were miniseries, and now we're getting a ton of them. I forgot about Chernobyl. Chernobyl was so good. We have to start talking about that. That was because, you know, Game of Thrones ended, and then they were like, by the way, next on is Chernobyl, this miniseries. We have to start throwing that into our top post-Game of Thrones HBO list, like, Mm -hmm. in our top five, because it definitely has to be. Like, I... We should do this next time. I never Our top watched five. it. Dude, really? 
Yeah. Lucky son of a bitch. It's great. And Sam just left. So I can say this and she doesn't listen to the podcast. So she'll never know that when it happened, she was just like, oh, it's a mini series. I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, cool. So like, she didn't say cool. She didn't want to watch it at all. Cause she was like, who cares? It's a thing blew up in Russia. And I was like, I mean, it was based off of a real event. And she's like, hmm. She didn't know Chernobyl was a thing that actually happened. <laughs> Whoops. Whoopsie daisy. P.S. By the way, have you listened to any of my Hunter Hunter episodes, James? I'm calling. Yeah, you I listened to the to the first two. Uh, I'm going to get to the other. I see. I've been working from home, and I usually do most of my podcast listening on my sure. commute. Sure. Oh, actually, um, I, I do. I was about to naysay you, but I actually that's exactly what I do as well. I just wanted to. I I needed your approval. Okay, you're like mm-hmm. my podcast dad. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I do have a whole like what seven or eight months of podcasting experience on you. That's true. That's true. You have two podcasts. I only have one. I'm reaching half a decade, but I still have so much to learn. Okay, everyone. Well, thanks a lot for listening. If you are listening, it means a lot. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, he's at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James Watches Men. The HBO Boys has a Facebook page as well. You can also leave us positive reviews on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. And you could spread the show by word of mouth. That's probably the most useful thing you could do. Just if you've got people who are watching the HBO shows that we're talking about or their big HBO heads in general, let them know about the show if you think they would like it. And then if you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can kick us a dollar or more on Patreon for bonus content. We have a tabletop game of Call of Cthulhu in the works, either next week or the week after. We're going to record that. I'm going to produce the shit out of it so it sounds cool. And the first part, everybody's going to get. The second part's going to be for patrons only. So, jump on the ship before uh, we leave the station. And also, we get a Discord chat that you can talk to me and Ryan in, and Ryan will read your name in the credits of each show. Yeah, thank you to our patrons, Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Day 11 Podcast, James Watch My Dong. Yeah. Uh, I watched it. It was great. Dude, I texted you six hours ago to prepare a joke for James Watch My Dong, and I just don't think you did it. All right, James Watch My Dong, I'm going to need you to change your name to Ryan Watch My Dong, all right, so I can turn the tables on this. Don't do that. Keep it exactly like it is. <laughs> I don't need this. I don't need that pressure. Anyway. But there you go. There was the joke. Da-da-da-da. It worked out in the end. I don't believe you. Clip Wilding, Hello underscore Yo, Atheism is Unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brinkin, Day Living Westworld, Craig Bachman, and John Jurors. Thank you for the dollar. We haven't had a new patron in a while, and I know I'm being weirdly aggressive, but come on. Come on. Well, that just means we got to step up our game, you know? No, that's not true. It's their fault. It's not ours. Remember when you ran for class president in high school and your entire speech, or most of it at least, was come on yeah well i i i I lost that you got you got it was rigged bro yeah well later on i heard that the the teachers conspired against me yes because you know i was like a d student or like a (laughs) cd student and instead they promoted like the a the honor roll girl who was running against me which i mean in all honesty they made the right call they did some plato's republic behind the scenes uh machinations but i don't blame them that's a very grown-up perspective did you have that perspective at the time or were you like they fucking bamboozled me no i thought i lost legitimately i didn't find out until years later that the students that helped that one teacher count the votes fixed it it oh my god a conspiracy we all (laughs) knew by the way we knew it was rigged because i every single person around me voted for you because you said come on and everyone was like i'm fucking sold james it is 
James, it is everybody. Let's throw this is uh, for our senior year too. So you would have been the person putting it together our class reunion. And to be fair, I wish you did. There were ten right, people there because whoever's job it was who put it together our class reunion did a terrible job. I don't remember the student government at our high school doing anything, so it would have made a difference if it were me or anyone else. No. Also, I remembered another thing about our middle school experience, because in Hunter x Hunter, the character named the Rookie Crusher was trying to give soda pop to people that have laxatives in it. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh mm-hmm. my god, kids did that in, in middle school. Do you remember that? Where there was no. a little fad where people were laxativesing each other? I don't remember that. Though I have heard uh, an extremely cruel prank you can play on someone if you drop like red-eye visine into someone's drink, you can make them violently ill. Oh, Jesus. Don't try that at home, kids. No, God, don't try that at <laughs> home at all. I'm glad, I mean, thankfully, based on the statistics, we do not have a lot of children who listen. To, we don't have any children. Who Our show to is marked explicit, so. Uh, yeah, if yeah, yeah. If, your kids, if you've got parental guidelines on your kid's uh, phone, which you probably should in this day and age, they won't hear me and Ryan talk about dongs and, and, and how to assault someone with eye drops. Right, hashtag Dong Watch 2020. Right, even though you know the the the, the Dong Watch hasn't been too astounding so no, far. No, it hasn't. It hasn't been season. very hard. Look ye upon my field of dongs, and you will see that it is barren. God, that is beautiful, James. You're you're like the modern version of Shakespeare, Billy Shakes, baby. That's a good place to step. Is it? I disagree. Sink or swim, baby. No, I'm I'm still recording. They can't hear you, but they can hear me. And this is your fault. So don't press stop before I do. <laughs>